The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Mara just uh, gave this wonderful introduction to me, and she said that I have uh, written a few books. One of them is uh, No Self, No Problem. The no Self is a, a very old concept in the Buddhist sutras. In Pali, Anatta in Sanskrit, Anatman. This is turned out to be perhaps uh, the most uh, profound and most confusing concept you can find uh, in entire Buddhist uh, teachings because that uh, even today you'll say that Buddhist teachers don't sometimes uh, give the same explanation on the the no-self or, or anatta. To me, the whole point of uh, the anatta or no-self is uh, really to not so much negating the existence of self or even personal self. Yes, that can be sometimes, but more Another way of uh, understanding of uh, uh, who we are as a human being, basically the no-self, uh, all the teaching on no-self, uh, as well as also meditation on it, uh, uh, wakes our consciousness into a uh, see our own world, our individual world, and then to realize that uh, as a human being, we are not just uh, uh, this kind of singular entity, rather we are very multi-dimensional now. This is why the Abhidharma and the Buddhist psychology as well as also cosmology teach that uh, uh, each human being is a multidimensional and we are made of uh, five aggregates, the body, feeling, perception, mental formation, and uh, consciousness. So when we take that uh, point of view, and then use that as a a way of understanding our own existence. We realize that uh, as a human being, we are very much uh, multidimensional. We have a body, we have a mind, we have also a consciousness, and then Within the realm of consciousness, we find all these uh, subtleties 
Uh, on the other hand, maybe they are all same. So then we, you see there's a mind and there's a thoughts and then there's an emotion. Recently I have been given, uh, given talks on the how to work with the human emotions. Because the emotion is also a very important component or aggregate of our being, our consciousness. The reason I started talking a little bit more about human emotions is that uh, I realized that I've been talking about uh, mind and thoughts and mental formations and how to work with them. And those, uh, of course, uh, inquiries and talks are extremely, or can be helpful, because our mind and our thoughts are so powerful. Because our thoughts sometimes uh, can be the building block that uh, creates a sense of reality. And usually our notion of reality is very much determined by the state of mind that we are abiding in and especially with our thoughts and perceptions. In the same way, the our emotions are very powerful too. So this is about how to work with our human emotions. And emotions are sometimes caused by situation, event, and sometimes they're also uh, immediate byproduct of uh, thoughts. You can uh, experiment with your own consciousness, uh, and sometimes you can say, uh, thought arises, and then right after that thought, there's also emotion. If you are having a, let's say, very a negative or, or very destructive thought, and then you can recognize that uh, right there, such thoughts create a very strong emotion, like anger, fear, This human emotion sometimes it can be really wonderful and like uh, uh, sweet and uh, delicious. Sometimes human emotions can be very beautiful, like uh, listening to a piece of uh, beautiful music or, or even like more eating delicious food like chocolate or sweet. <laughs> Some, some of these human emotions are very pleasant, wholesome, ecstatic, something that we want to indulge in, want to re-experience. And then other human emotions are sometimes very painful and bitter. It's hard to work with them. It's difficult to be with those emotions. I think human emotions to me sometimes like a whole treasure of a 
spicer, especially like Indian spicer. <laughs> Somebody told me that uh, the Indian dish, Indian uh, uh, cooking is very unique because they use uh, all kinds of spices, sweet ones, bitter ones, and so forth. Whereas uh, in my culture, Tibetan culture, we don't have lots of spices when we cook food. Usually we use uh, salt and black pepper, that's pretty much it. And sometimes it's chili sauce. So we have been using this uh, three or four spices to cook food for centuries and centuries. So when I went to, to India, I didn't like the Indian food for a long time. And now I love the Indian food. It, it took years, years for me to start really appreciating the Indian food. Many of the, the flavor of Indian food are too esoteric to my taste. And, and these days I love to eat Indian food. Uh, periodically, when somebody visits me, and when they ask me to go out, I always recommend uh, these Indian buffets. <laughs> Perhaps we have them too. There are so many Indian buffets in the area where I live, uh, and they're quite delicious. Uh, see? And also, I drink chai uh, all the time. I think today I drank already five or six cups of chai. <laughs> And one of the reasons I love chai is because it has lots of a flavor in it. They, they put lots of a spice in the chai. So human emotions can be sometimes very rich, colorful, sweet, bitter, sour, painful, ecstatic, as the, like the, the Indian recipe. And then, uh, you see, we, we all love to feel joy and bliss. And then, uh, as you know, some emotions are very ordinary and painful. Perhaps each day we go through different range of emotions without even noticing it. And now and then we go through very powerful emotions that we don't know what to do. Some of these emotions are extremely powerful, overwhelming, like like tsunami, or like tornado or earthquake, can almost you feel that uh, you are ruled, overwhelmed by those forces inside you. So in my culture, Tibetan culture, which is a kind of fusion of both Buddhist tradition and a little bit of shamanic spirituality known as Bon, we try to kind of understand uh, our own psychology, our own craziness from point of view of uh, both Buddhist and shamanic traditions. In 
many cases when somebody goes through very strong emotions like depression, especially if they really don't know how to meditate, and then the our explanation is that they are abducted by some forces from outside. Still, uh, many Tibetans believe that uh, when they go through depression or like uh, uh, lots of uh, fear, they feel that they are abducted by some kind of force. The truth is there is no really force outside yourself. But that's how people feel because the emotions are so powerful, like depression, anger, fear. So they feel that uh, another force literally entered into their consciousness, just uh, took over them. And what I'm trying to say is that uh, this is a kind of example of how powerful human emotions can be to the extent that uh, we don't have so much sometimes uh, uh, awareness or clarity how to work with them. We feel that uh, these forces are much stronger than our own awareness or will or intention. And then, uh, as you know, the human emotions are also sometimes quite cumbersome. And there were some practices uh, in both Buddhist and Hindu tradition as a means to kind of reject all the those cumbersome emotions and only cultivate uh, those beautiful emotions like love and joy. And these techniques are very useful too in many ways. Uh, uh, but eventually, uh, we are supposed to outgrow those techniques and, and to really learn how to work and embrace uh, uh, all uh, expressions of human emotions and not to reject any of them. Because there are reasons why we have those emotions. There is a reason why we go through sadness, depression, fear, Uh, personally, I didn't know how to work with, with the emotions for a long time. I'm still learning how to work with the emotions. <laughs> I think uh, I think many people are suffering in this world, basically, because they don't have the awareness or the right tool how to work with their emotions. Of course, all our suffering come from unawareness. Unawareness is a lack of knowledge, a lack of insight, how to work with our mind, with our thoughts, with our consciousness. So there is a lot of unawareness in this world. And one of the unawareness is that our inability how to embrace, how to work 
with our emotions from more point of view of uh, the uh, spiritual teachings. Uh, personally, I used to have this uh, very strong preferences. I always uh, wish that uh, someday I can have all the beautiful experiences, emotions, and not to have any any uh, unpleasant or painful emotions. Like loneliness is example. <laughs> Can you maybe tell, or some of you can maybe tell me a list of emotions that you go through which are very painful if you are open to it? Fear. Uh, pardon me? Anxiety. Anxiety, fear. Please. Uh, grief. Grief. Mm -hmm. One more. <laughs> Anger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, grief is an uh, example, wonderful example. I, I was talking about uh, a reason to the, the grief, because we all have lots of uh, uh, grievous in our life. And perhaps all of you have a grief. I have lots of grief too. I have a, a personal grief, and also I have a grief that I inherited from my own culture. One time I had a, a dog, and this dog, his name is Ndaka, means a hero in Sanskrit. <laughs> He, he died a long time ago, and then when he died, I thought, oh, just uh, my dog died. It wasn't a very big deal. I did a little bit of ceremony, and then uh, a few years after his death, one day I was uh, flying back from somewhere. I think I was flying back from south to the area where I live, and then I had a, a lot of time on the plane. Usually I fly quite a lot. I love uh, this experience of being on the plane. I call it uh, like flying meditation cave. <laughs> That's how I feel when I fly. And usually it's a time for me contemplation, reflection, and also solitude a little bit. Uh, uh, often I tend to kind of have a little bit of more intimacy with myself, with my own experience. I tend to feel more emotions when I fly on the plane and then other times. And then suddenly I start feeling this grief. I start really missing that door, darker. And I realize that I could have been much, much uh, more attentive when he was alive, I, I felt that uh, uh, lots of sadness. And then I wrote even a poem, a poem to uh, honor him. 
And then I showed that poem to some of my friends, and they asked me, who is that person? <laughs> and they thought I wrote it as a poem, a grief to a person in my life, but actually it was a dog. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I could spend more time with him, I could ha- give more him pat than I gave. So lots of those grief kept coming back. I was kind of actually saddened. Uh, some tears came out my eyes too. And then, uh, not a very long time ago, uh, one of my friends died. Many of us uh, were quite saddened with her death because she was a very wonderful human being who, who helped many people. She was very kind to me personally as well as to our community. And then, uh, we have a few mutual friends. And one of them said that uh, she went to the, uh, her funeral ceremony and then when she, when she come back she felt this, uh, kind of, this painful emptiness in her heart. Felt that, uh, something is gone. Something is like ripped off from her heart. And she felt this, uh, sharp grief. And then she told me that uh, she didn't know to be with that, uh, that experience, that uh, experience of being, like basically being ripped off in heart. And she's somebody who has been practicing Buddhism for many, many years, like 30 or 40 years, but uh, she realized that uh, she still does not know how to deal with uh, these powerful human emotions. And we had uh, some conversation about it. And this is not actually a new topic. Uh, in Buddhism, they, they talked quite a lot how to work with the thoughts, uh, how to work with the emotions. And uh, in the end, uh, uh, Buddhism really teaches that uh, you don't reject anything, you don't reject those human emotions. And not only that, we are encouraged to embrace everything, embrace our pain, our grief, our anger, our anxiety, as uh, some kind of gift, even spiritual gift. And gift that we need in order to grow, in order to evolve. And this is, of course, a little bit a difficult concept to concept to sell. Recently, I come across a poem by Hafiz, which I'm going to recite. This poem is perhaps the best uh, uh, illumination on this idea that uh, we can hold of all our emotions, uh, all the painful ones, ones you mentioned just now, grief, anger, fear, anxiety, as actually a, a blessing, as a gift in a, in a disguise. 
and that empowers us, that wakes us in the end, and that matures us. And this poem is a very well-known, perhaps many of you already know this poem. It goes like this, uh, Don't surrender your loneliness so quickly. Let it cut more deep. Let it uh, ferment and season you as a few human or even divine ingredients can. So he's uh, saying that uh, this uh, pain, emotional pain like loneliness are actually gift. We're not supposed to run away from them. We're not supposed to try to transcend or get rid of them quickly as much possible. We're supposed to embrace them. So even though they're painful, but if you embrace them, actually they can ferment us. And they can make us an authentic human being. And they can empower us more compassionate, obviously, more courageous and wiser. So sometimes I feel that uh, the human emotions uh, can be a spiritual initiation. There is a kind of spiritual initiation in every tradition. I spend a little bit of time with the Native Americans uh, around the year uh, 2000, uh, and they're from the Lakota tribe. Uh, they come to Santa Cruz Mountains, and we uh, did uh, some ceremonies together. And then also I have uh, friends who uh, do all kinds of shamanic practices, but they told me that in some Native American spirituality, they had uh, uh, initiation, like vision quest. And we have all forms of a vision quest or initiation. Indeed, in Tibetan tradition, we have actually kind of a Buddhist and shamanic form of a vision quest. Even though we don't call them vision quest, but same kind of idea, we did a, a, a more Buddhist version of a vision quest three weeks ago in Kenyan Dushi. We took around 35 people and we spent almost nine nights in the Kenyan Dushi. It's a beautiful Kenya in southwest in Arizona. Perhaps some of you have been there. It's a very magical Kenyan. I was there almost 17 or 18 years ago and led the same kind of retreat. And this uh, form of a retreat, the, the uh, Buddhist version of a vision case is called a chut. And usually we go there, and sometimes in Tibet we intentionally go out and camp at a place that really challenges you, that scares you, that terrorizes you. And often the teachings go out and camp 
at uh, cemeteries because cemeteries are quite uh, gruesome and to bear in the old days. Not a fancy, not manicured as the cemeteries uh, here. And sometimes you'll see maybe skeletons or dead bodies lying. And then you have to go by yourself and camp at the cemeteries. And then you basically let go of all your comfort and all your sense of security. And you have to be alone by yourself. And then you go inside your consciousness and invoke all the painful emotions intentionally. You invoke your fear, your grief, your anxiety, your hatred. You just invoke all of them. And then you go through this visualization in which that you imagine that you are welcoming the army of all your pain and suffering and uh, to love them, to feed them, to entertain them. Uh, it's a, actually a practice through which that you basically feel your own pain, your own sadness, your own grief. But in a more sacred container of awareness. So, the difference between just uh, going through those emotions each day and being lost in them and then experiencing them through awareness is that when you learn how to embrace your emotions and awareness, then they, they become literal, the spiritual recipe, as uh, Hafiz said, they, they literally wake you up, they, they empower you, and they turn into you into bodhisattvas eventually. And this is a pretty much a, a heart of all the Buddhist meditation practices. There are many forms of Buddhist meditation practice, but in the end, they all have the same essence. Either you are learning from Theravada tradition or from Zen or from a Tibetan Buddhist tradition. The essence of all this practice is the same, which is awareness. So next time when you have a visitation from your emotions, you can have a totally different outlook, different way of working with them. Maybe you can welcome them. And let's say, not tonight, it's too late. Maybe you should go to bed. <laughs> Don't try anything that is too profound tonight. It's already late. But tomorrow morning when you wake up, uh, perhaps uh, maybe an emotion visit to you, very strong emotion may visit to you. If not tomorrow morning, maybe sometime in the afternoon, or maybe if not tomorrow, day after tomorrow, if not, maybe next week, 
there are going to be perhaps a time, a really powerful emotion will visit to you. Thank you for mentioning a whole list of emotions tonight that you have a difficulty with. And let's say, one week from now, a, a grief may visit you, very powerful grief may visit you. And so powerful that you feel that this invisible sword is just cutting, just tearing your heart into pieces. Or maybe anger may strike you and you feel there's fire inside you and not knowing how to control that fire. Or maybe you may feel a fear strike you like a huge earthquake that just takes over your entire being and you feel you are completely consumed and ruled by that forces and then you may end up suffering too. So anyway, whenever that emotion arises next time, try to change your uh, outlook. Uh, instead of being afraid of them, welcome them. Say in the silence, oh, there's now the divine gift is on the way. This is the divine recipe. This is the divine ingredients. This is the divine ingredients of all divine ingredients. And so I'm going to fully embrace it and let it ferment and season me. And then hold the, the whatever emotion you're going through in this uh, non-judging awareness. In the same way that we hold the thoughts and all the mental activities. And that awareness I'm speaking about is the same as what you might like to call upaishana or mindfulness or rigpa, pure awareness. Thank you everybody. Thank you for your presence. And maybe we can have one or two questions. If you don't have questions, then uh, uh, we can chant maybe a sutra. <laughs> maybe two two questions. Mm-hmm. Um, you said, my, I think, mindfulness and consciousness as separate uh, things. So would you um, explain? <laughs> yeah. Well, everybody has consciousness, uh, which does not mean everybody has mindfulness. <laughs> yeah? I still don't get it. <laughs> That's okay. Do you have to be conscious of consciousness? No, you don't you have don't. to be conscious of consciousness. So just being alive is consciousness? Yeah, we, we always have consciousness, yes. But our consciousness is not always conscious. Consciousness means basically mind. We always have mind. But we are not necessarily mindful. Last question, then we chant to a sutra. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm just curious. Um, 
Uh, do you have any thoughts about the concept of uh, the Messiah? Is that's involved in lots of other traditions? Mm-hmm. Messiah. Yeah, Messiah. Well, the, in uh, Buddhist sutras, we have uh, this Buddha, Buddha Maitreya, Buddha of Love. He or she is a kind of Buddhist version of Messiah. And uh, the the sacred presentation of Buddha Maitreya is very interesting. Uh, he or she sit on the chair rather than on the meditation cushion. We call this Buddha, Buddha Maitreya, the Buddha of the future. But that's an archetype in Buddhism. Uh, we, we should not uh, take this whole idea, future Buddha, literally. I always say that we are the future Buddhas. We are all the Buddha Maitreyas. Buddha of love. So we really don't have a, a Masaya phenomenon in Buddhism. <laughs> we, we are all the future Buddhas. Thank you. Maybe we will chant a sutra together. Uh, let me chant uh, the Heart Sutra in Tibetan and then I invite all of you to chant uh, the Paranjana Paramita Mantra. And this uh, sutra is a most recited sutra in Mahayana tradition. It's a sutra on the great emptiness. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.